Tonight we are going to study a subject which is definitely linked with the two subjects that we studied uh, previously, the one last night and the one the night before that. We've noticed in our study so far that the Sabbath is a threefold sign. It is a sign of creation, it is a sign of redemption, and it is a sign of the restoration when Jesus comes to make a new heaven and a new earth. And in all three stages, God has underlined the Sabbath as the special sign of those three events. He rested on the seventh day at creation. He rested in the tomb from his works of redemption. And he will rest with his people after he has created a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, in fact, it says there in Isaiah 66 and verse 22 and 23, that we will come every Sabbath to worship before the Lord in commemoration of the new heavens and the new earth. Now immediately the question comes up. If the Bible is so clear that the Sabbath is in God's plan at creation, redemption, and the restoration, why is it that the great majority of Christians today do not keep the Sabbath but observe Sunday, the first day of the week? Let me preface what we're going to study tonight by saying that there are many true children of God in every Christian church, as well as non-Christian groups. God has his children everywhere. So I don't want anybody to get the impression that uh, Sabbath keepers are in a special class, they're uh, more important, or they're recognized by God more than other people. The simple fact is that there are many people in the world today, probably most Christians, don't even have any idea of what we've studied here the last couple of nights. They simply keep Sunday because it's, because it's the traditional thing to do, because they've done that all their lives, their parents did that all their lives, and their grandparents did that all their lives. And so they're simply following what the religious leaders say, they're following tradition in the, in the observance of the first day of the week. Now, somebody might say, well, pastor, how is it, is, how is it that the great majority of Christians today could be wrong? Let me say that God does not follow the American method of determining right and wrong by polls. If you look at the Bible, you will see that the majority have always been wrong. And usually it's a small minority that have been right. So just because the whole Christian world keeps Sunday or goes to church on Sunday that does not necessarily mean that Sunday is the day of rest that we're supposed to keep. Now tonight we're going to study eight verses in the New Testament that mention the first day of the week. And let me say that there are no more. There are only eight Bible verses in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. There are none actually in the Old Testament which mention the first day of the week. If we're going to find some justification for the observance of Sunday or the first day of the week as the day of rest, we're going to have to find the justification in these eight verses because we don't have anywhere else to look in Scripture other than these eight references. Now, as we look at these eight references, plus we're going to study one more that doesn't mention the first day of the week, but it does mention the Lord's Day, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. So we're going to look at that one tonight also. So we're going to study eight texts that refer to the first day of the week and one text which refers to the Lord's Day. Now, what we're going to do tonight, we're going to ask three questions of each of these Bible texts. The first question we are going to ask is, does this text say that the first day of the week is holy? The second question that we're going to ask is, does this text tell us that we're supposed to go to church on the first day of the week? And the third question that we're going to ask each of these texts is, does this text tell us that we're supposed to keep the first day of the week in honor of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Three questions, three simple questions that we will address to each one of these texts. Does the text say it's holy? Does the text say that we're supposed to go to church on the first day of the week? 
And does the text say that we're supposed to keep the first day of the week because Jesus resurrected on the first day? Now let me just mention, before we get into studying the specific texts, that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written at least 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. They are recording the events of the life of Jesus, but they were written approximately 30 years later. The Gospel of John was written approximately 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And interestingly, not once in any of these Gospels, the three Gospels which were written 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and John which was written 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus, not once is the first day of the week called Sunday, and not once is the first day of the week called the Lord's Day. That's very significant. Because if Sunday was the Lord's Day, or the first day of the week was the Lord's Day, what a golden opportunity, 30 years after the resurrection, or 60 years after the resurrection, to at least have one reference which says that the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. But it's never called so in the New Testament. Now let's go in our Bibles to the first text which mentions the first day of the week. And uh, some of these we're going to be able to go through very quickly. Others we're going to uh, stop and look at them a little more carefully. Uh, this is one of the texts that we can deal with very, very quickly. Matthew 28 and verse 1. Here it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, does this text say that Sunday is the Sabbath? No, interestingly, it says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn. So Jesus resurrected the day after the Sabbath. Do you see that in this text? Because it says the first day of the week comes after the Sabbath. So the day before the first day of the week must have been the seventh day. Are you following me or not? It must have been the Sabbath, the seventh day. Now, does this text say that the first day of the week is holy? Does this text say that we're supposed to go to church on the first day of the week? No. Does this text tell us that we're supposed to keep the first day of the week in honor of the resurrection of Jesus? Absolutely not. Now, if you want, you can inject that into the text, but it's not in Scripture. It's your idea being, being put into the text. But the text itself simply makes a statement of fact. It says, Jesus resurrected the first day of the week after the Sabbath was passed. So there's nothing in this text which would support the idea that Christians are supposed to keep the first day of the week or Sunday as a special holy day that they're supposed to go to church or they're supposed to honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible tells us clearly which is the day of rest. In fact, in the fourth commandment of the law of God, you know, some people, I find it interesting, they say, well, pastor, this isn't something that has to do with salvation. One day, another day. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with salvation. Uh, would you say the same if I said that uh, the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, doesn't have anything to do with salvation? Would you say the same if I said thou shalt not kill has nothing to do with salvation? Would you say the same if I said that uh, the commandment which says thou shalt not bear false witness has nothing to do with salvation? You see, the problem with Christians is with the Sabbath. It's not with the rest of the law. And I find it ironic today that many ministers of different denominations, they are crusading for moralizing America. They say, we need to return to traditional values. We need to return to the Judeo-Christian tradition. We need to return to the commandments of God. But then when somebody says, God wants us to keep the commandments, they say, no, you don't have to keep those. Jesus kept them. Or that was the old covenant. That was the letter. We're under the spirit now. And I don't think that they realize that they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. On one side, they're saying, get back to morality and to the commandments. On the other side, they're saying, the law was nailed to the cross. You can't have it both ways. You can only have it one way or the other way. But the problem commandment for everyone is always the Sabbath. 
It's not so much the others. Everybody knows it's wrong to commit adultery. It's wrong to kill. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to bear false witness. It's wrong to dishonor your parents. It's wrong to worship idols. It's wrong to have other gods. It's wrong to take the name of the Lord God in vain. Everybody, all Christians agree that all these things are wrong. But when it comes to the Sabbath, that one is shuffled under the rug. Now, I don't understand how people can think this way. Now, let's go to our second text. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, and verses 1 and 2. Mark, chapter 16, and verses 1 and 2. Very well-known uh, verse. It speaks about, actually, two verses. It speaks about the resurrection of Jesus. This is the second text that refers to the first day of the week. It says there, Now when the Sabbath was passed, once again, Jesus resurrected when? After the Sabbath was passed. So is Sunday the Sabbath? Can you legitimately say that Sunday is the Sabbath? You can't. Because this text says when the Sabbath was passed. So if Jesus resurrected when the Sabbath was passed, which is the first day of the week, Sunday, Sunday cannot be the Sabbath because the Sabbath was already gone. The Bible's clear on this point. And so it says, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Once again, the first day of the week is mentioned in verse 2. Is there anything in these two verses that says that the first day of the week is holy? Anything? My, you're weak tonight. Didn't you have supper? Does this text say that the first day of the week is holy? No. Does this text say that we're supposed to go to church on the first day of the week? Does this text say that we're supposed to keep the first day of the week because Jesus resurrected that day? No, it simply makes a statement of fact that Jesus resurrected the first day of the week. Now let me clarify something. Somebody might say, well, pastor, but why did Jesus choose to resurrect the first day of the week? Why not another day? It's very simple. We answered it last night, but let me review it. According to the episode of the manna, Jesus had to rest in the tomb on the Sabbath. Because he was the living manna that came down from heaven, and on the Sabbath his body saw no corruption like the manna saw no, cor no corruption on the Sabbath. Are you following me or not? So if, if the manna did not corrupt on the Sabbath, and the manna represents the flesh of Jesus, as we read it in John chapter 6, that would mean that the Lord Jesus would have to remain in the tomb on the Sabbath as a living manna. His body would not see corruption. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if he had to rest in the tomb on the Sabbath, he would have had to resurrect the next day, which is Sunday. So the significant day is not Sunday. The significant day is what? The Sabbath when Jesus rests in the sepulcher. And I could go into the Hebrew feasts to show this too. But uh, I did a sanctuary series a couple of years ago. In detail, I studied the Hebrew feasts, and I showed how the Hebrew feasts, uh, particularly the first three of the spring, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, represented the death of Jesus, the Passover. Unleavened bread represented his resting in the tomb because the bread didn't have leaven because leaven represents sin. His body saw no corruption. And first fruits, according to Paul, represents the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So once again, the idea of unleavened bread is connected with the Sabbath. No leaven, no sin. So it's not the first day of the week that is significant in these Old Testament prophecies. What is significant is the Holy Sabbath. And he had to resurrect the first day of the week because the previous day he would have had to rest in the sepulcher or in the tomb. Is that point clear? Now let me go to Mark chapter 16 and verse 9. This is our third text. Mark chapter 16 and verse 9. We've already analyzed two. Now we're going to analyze the third. Mark, what did I say? 16 verse 9. Mark chapter 16 verse 9. This is a third text. It says here, Now when he rose, early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. 
When did Jesus resurrect? The first day of the week, according to this. Does this text tell us that the first day of the week is holy? No. Does this text tell us that we're supposed to go to church on the first day of the week? No. Does this text tell us that we're supposed to honor the first day of the week because Jesus resurrected on that day? Absolutely not. It simply states a fact. Jesus resurrected the first day of the week. You know, some people use a psychological argument. They say, well, you know, the Sabbath, that was a sad day. But Sunday, that was a happy day because Jesus resurrected. Now, we have to be careful with psychology when it's not in harmony with the Bible. First of all, the disciples had no reason to be sad on the Sabbath. Because we've noticed that Jesus warned the disciples that he was going to die and resurrect the third day. So there was no reason for them to, to be sad. If they'd understood what Jesus was saying, they would have uh, celebrated the Sabbath, resting as the Redeemer rested in the tomb. They would rest in anticipation of the resurrection the very next day. It would have been a happy day. Secondly, it's interesting, we're going to notice a little bit later on, that the disciples were not celebrating the first day of the week real happy in honor of the resurrection because they didn't even believe Jesus had resurrected. So how could they be celebrating the resurrection if they didn't believe Jesus had even resurrected? Now, we need to be careful about the way we look at Scripture. Now let's go to our fourth Bible text, John chapter 20 and verse 1. John chapter 20 and verse 1. This is the fourth verse that mentions the first day of the week. There it says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then it says she goes to tell Simon Peter and the disciples and you find the rest of the story. Now once again, does this fourth text say that the first day of the week is holy? No. Does this text say that we're supposed to go to church on the first day of the week? No. Does this verse say that we're supposed to keep the first day of the week in honor of the resurrection of Jesus? No. Once again, it simply makes a statement of fact. Jesus resurrected the first day of the week, and that's it. It doesn't give any particular significance to the holiness of the day, or a day to go to church, or we're supposed to keep it now in honor of the resurrection of Jesus. Christians who believe that assume it. They put it into Scripture. It's a tradition, but it's not based on the Word of God. And you know what Jesus said about tradition. He says, you annul the Word of God, you annul the commandment of God by your what? By your tradition. Now, let's go to our fifth Bible verse. That's found in Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. This is the uh, fifth reference in uh, the New Testament to the first day of the week. It says there, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing what? Bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Jesus had already resurrected, hadn't he? He resurrected even earlier than they arrived. Now, does this text say that Jesus resurrected the first day of the week? Yes. See, I tricked you that time. <laughs> I've gotten you used to say no, no, no. So I've got to throw out something to make sure that you're listening to what I'm saying. Now, did G does this text say that Jesus had risen the first day of the week? Yes, it does. Does it say that the first day of the week is holy? No. Does it say that the first day of the week is a day to go to church? No. Does it say that the first day of the week is a day that we're supposed to honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Now, let's look a little bit more carefully at Luke chapter 24. And let's go to the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 24, and let's read, starting with verse, uh, actually Luke 23 and verse 50. Let's go to Luke 23 and verse 50 and move through this passage very quickly. It says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. 
He had not consented to their counsel indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. Now notice this. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. What day did Jesus die? Friday. Because it says that day when they buried Jesus was the preparation and the Sabbath drew what? Near. So which day did Jesus rest in the tomb? On Sabbath. Notice what it says in verse 55. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. What day did they rest? Why did they rest on the Sabbath? Because the commandment said so, and this is after the death of Jesus. Are people keeping the Sabbath after Jesus dies? Yes, they are. Obviously, during his ministry, if Jesus wanted people to start keeping Sunday in honor of his resurrection, they sure didn't understand it that way. Evidently, he hadn't taught that because they're keeping the Sabbath according to the commandment. And then notice, what day does Jesus resurrect? Verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing their spices which they had prepared. So, do you see the sequence of days? Is the sequence clear? Jesus died on Friday, the day of preparation, the Sabbath drew near. On the Sabbath, he's in the tomb, the women rest. The Sabbath day according to the commandment. And Jesus resurrects the first day of the week. So let me ask you, which day of the week is the Sabbath? Which day of the week is the Sabbath? It's got to be the seventh. If he resurrected the first, what is the day before the first? The seventh. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And so my point that I want to underline I want to be clear in your minds, is that Sunday is not the Sabbath. Sunday is the first day of the week. The seventh day is the Sabbath, according to the New Testament. And Jesus customarily went into the synagogue when? On the Sabbath day, we noticed. And the synagogue was church at that time. Now, I'm not being judgmental. You know, I love, I, I love Christians from other churches. In fact, I have friends from other churches who are not members of my particular church. But I have to be loyal to the Word of God, folks. I have to preach the truth of God, because that's what God has called me to do. I can't be politically correct. I can't just preach pleasing things that'll make people happy. I have to go to the Bible and have to speak what God presents in His Holy Word. And then you have to listen. You have to look at the list of texts. You have to compare everything. And if I'm telling the truth, accept it. If not, reject it. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to pull anything by you. I'm not trying to, to, I don't have a hidden agenda at all. All I'm saying is, I present this, you take it home, you look at the copy of the lecture, you look at the Bible verses, look what comes before and after these verses, and then make your decision whether this is the truth or not. Now, if you come to the conclusion that this is the truth, then the ball is in your court as to what you're going to do with it. Because the Bible says that sin is in he who knows what is good and does not do it. Now, let's go to our sixth text, which speaks about the first day of the week. John chapter 20 and verse 19. John chapter 20 and verse 19. And we'll take a little more time on this one. It says there, Then the same day, that is the same day of the resurrection of Jesus, at evening... So it's the evening of the first day of the week. At evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, ah, you say, here there's a meeting on the first day of the week. That's the text that we were looking for. The disciples were meeting to celebrate the resurrection. Now wait a minute, let's read the text carefully. It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled to celebrate the day of rest. 
To keep the Lord's day. No. Why were they gathered there? For fear of the Jews. They were in hiding because they were afraid that they might come and round them up. And they would suffer the same things as Jesus. So it says they were gathered there for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, let me tell you the way some Christians interpret this. They say that the disciples were gathered there to celebrate the resurrection. And that evening, they celebrated the Lord's Supper in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus. And in this way, God was saying that from that point on, Christians should meet the first day of the week to celebrate Holy Communion or to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now that's an interesting theory, but it doesn't fit with the Bible evidence. I want you to notice what it says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 29. Because some people say that Jesus came among them, they were gathered to celebrate the resurrection, and Jesus celebrated communion with them, just thus saying that the first day of the week is the day we're supposed to meet to celebrate communion. Now notice Matthew chapter 26 and verse 29. Jesus could not have partaken of the communion emblems with them on the first day of the week. Why not? It says there in verse 29 of Matthew 26, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When did Jesus say was the next time he was going to drink the fruit of the vine that he used to institute the Lord's Supper? Oh, so how could he be drinking it on Sunday evening if he says, I'm not going to drink it again until I come in my kingdom? So the idea that Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper to sanctify Sunday as the new day of rest does not fit the Bible evidence. It says it was for fear of the Jews. Jesus said, I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine again until I do in my Father's kingdom. Furthermore, the Bible tells us what Jesus ate. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 36. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36. Very interesting uh, passage here. After Jesus resurrects. This is the same moment that Jesus appeared to the disciples. Only instead of reading it in John, we're reading it in Luke. It's the same occasion that we just read in John 20 and verse 19. Now notice what it says in verse 36. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Do you see? Same thing. Verse 37. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. You won't want to miss the presentation on Wednesday night on what Jesus had to say about life and death. But they thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as ye see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him some bread and wine. See, sometimes I'm, I'm 50, so I need to get glasses. No, that's not what it says, is it? What did Jesus eat there with the disciples? Was it communion? No. It says here, So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Boy, that was a strange communion service, wasn't it? Not only that, but the New Testament makes it clear that communion does not commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. Communion commemorates the death of Jesus. So they could not have been celebrating communion to commemorate the resurrection because the resurrection is commemorated by baptism. We rise with Jesus from the waters of baptism. Communion points to the death of Jesus, not to his resurrection. You say, how do we know that? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26. And notice what the Apostle Paul has to say about what communion commemorates. It says there, uh, 1 Corinthians once again, 11.26, after talking about communion, the Apostle Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's what? The Lord's death until he comes. 
So what is it that communion commemorates? His resurrection or his death? His death. So even if they celebrated communion, which we've already noticed that they didn't, that would have had no significance concerning the resurrection of Jesus because communion commemorates his death, not his resurrection. But the most devastating blow to this idea that they were meeting there to celebrate the first day of the week as a day of rest is found in the fact that the disciples did not even believe that the Lord Jesus had resurrected. How could they be celebrating the resurrection that evening, all gathered together to there, there, if they didn't even believe he had resurrected? You say, where does the Bible say that? Well, let's go back to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, and verse 9. Luke, chapter 24, and verse 9. And we'll read through verse 11. It says, Then they returned from the tomb, and told all these things to the eleven, and to all the rest. Where were the eleven, according to what we read in John? They were in the upper room, and what were they doing? Hiding, for fear of the Jews. And so it says, they go and they tell the disciples, and verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. How could the apostles be celebrating the resurrection if they did not believe that Jesus had resurrected, even when Mary told them that Jesus had resurrected? Notice also what it says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, on this same line. Mark, chapter 16, and verses 10 through 13. Here it says, verse 10, same context, speaking about Mary Magdalene, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they had a worship service. No, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. How could they be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and having a worship service if they did not even believe that Jesus had resurrected? Now let me ask you, does this text in John 20 and verse 19 say that the first day of the week is holy? No. Does it say that we're supposed to go to church to celebrate the resurrection on the first day of the week? Absolutely not. There is no biblical basis and foundation for that. It's something that has been injected into the Bible. It's a tradition that has been created by men, but which is not sustained by the word of God. Now we're running out of text, folks. We better find one soon. We've studied six, and we only have two left. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2. This is a seventh reference to the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16 and verses 1 and 2. It says there, now concerning the collection for the saints, and by the way, we won't read it now, but you can look it up. Romans 15, 25 to 28 speaks about this special offering that was picked up to send to the brethren in Jerusalem because there was a great famine and the people in Jerusalem were in great need. So the Apostle Paul gave instructions to all of the churches that he visited that they were supposed to set aside funds so that when he came, he could take those funds to Jerusalem to help the saints who were suffering great need because of the famine. So once again, it says in verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, I find it unbelievable that people would use this passage in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 to say that regular meetings were taking place in church on the first day of the week. 
The fact is that this says nothing about a church meeting. You know, as you go out tonight, you're going to get a copy of the lecture. And in the copy of the lecture, I hope you'll read there from several of the most respected Bible versions that are used today, New International, Jerusalem Bible, the New English Bible, the Revised Standard Version, the King James, the New King James, etc. You'll find that every single one of those versions, by the way, including the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, or any other version that you want to refer to, it says that every first day of the week, everybody is to lay aside by himself. That is what it says literally in the Greek. Lay aside by himself. Some versions say lay aside at home according to the way that God has prospered. It doesn't say take the money to church. If people were going to church, why doesn't the Apostle Paul say every first day of the week take the money to church? Why would he say lay it aside? Lay it aside at home. Lay it by himself in store. Store it up until I come, so that when I come, there there are no collections that need to be made. The fact is that this is not speaking, first of all, about a regular thing. It's an exceptional offering. And secondly, it's speaking about setting aside an offering at home. It's not talking about taking an offering to church. In fact, you know what this text is really teaching is faithfulness in stewardship, in your stewardship. Because first of all, it tells you when to give every first day of the week. Now somebody says, why were they supposed to set it aside the first day of the week? The reason is very simple. This is actually a passage in favor of the Sabbath. You see, the Bible says that we are not supposed to do commercial transactions on the Sabbath. You can read that in many places in Scripture. You're not supposed to do your own business. You're not supposed to speak your own words. You're not supposed to do your own pleasure. Everything you do on that day is holy and sacred. It's for the Lord. It's spiritual. It's not secular. That's why God said, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Everything during that day should be oriented to the spiritual and to the holy. Not because we have to, but because we enjoy fellowship with our beloved Jesus. Isn't it nice to set everything aside for one day of the week? The seventh day, I mean, I find it such a joy to not balance my checkbook on the Sabbath. I find it such a joy to be able to turn off the television set. Have mercy. And not read the newspaper. And not talk about secular business. Everything oriented towards the Lord for 24 whole hours. You say, oh, pastor, 24 whole hours? That's a lot, isn't it? When you really consider it, you have six days for yourself. And God only asks for one. The same with the tithe. 10%? Pastor, have mercy. That's a lot of money. What is 10%? You get to keep 90, don't you? So God is actually, he gives us everything, and then he says, you know, just return to me 10%. I think that's pretty generous. He puts in all of the capital, and then he only expects 10% back. I would say that's generous. But anyway, we're not talking about the tithe tonight. Now, this passage tells us, first of all, when do we do it? The first day of the week. The reason being that people were paid on Friday, And the first opportunity that that they would have to calculate how much they would set aside for their personal expenses and also for the special offering would be when? The first day of the week. Because on the Sabbath they would do no commercial transactions. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Now, this text is telling us when. Every first day of the week we're supposed to be regular in our stewardship. It tells us where. We're supposed to set it aside at home. We're not supposed to wait till the offering plate comes by. They say, please have the deacons come forward. And you say, uh-oh, emergency. And you start going through your pockets because you want to give something. And of course, you come out with the lighter bills because you haven't done any planning. This tells us that we are supposed to do it regularly. We're supposed to do it at home, lay it aside by ourselves in store. It tells us who is supposed to give. The Apostle Paul says, each one of us. It tells us why. 
It's a special offering for the saints, and it tells us how much, according to the way in which God has prospered you. So the purpose of this text is not to say that Sunday is holy. It's to tell us that we're supposed to be regular, systematic givers to the cause of God, to those who are more needy. Now let's be honest, folks. Does this passage say anything about the first day of the week being holy? Does it say anything about honoring the first day of the week because Jesus resurrected on that day? No. Does it say anything about going to church on the first day of the week? No. In fact, all of the versions show that it's talking about setting aside a certain amount of money where? At home or by yourself, in store, the Apostle Paul says. So this text has absolutely no justification for the observance of the first day of the week. We only have one text left. And this is Acts chapter 20 and verses 7 to 9. Go with me to Acts chapter 20. Let's analyze this passage. Acts 20, verses 7 through 9. Now we need to ask the question, was this a regular meeting or was this an exceptional meeting? Is it something that took place every first day of the week? Or was it an exceptional meeting that took place only this once for a special reason? We also need to ask, when did this meeting take place? It says the first day of the week, but was it the light portion of the first day of the week or was it the dark portion of the first day of the week? Well, let's go and read the passage and then we'll try and answer these questions. Verse 7, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, some people say, see, it says to break bread, they were going to celebrate communion. Well, sorry, folks, nice try. But the fact is that Luke 24, 35 uses the same expression, break bread, to refer to a common meal that you eat on your table. Not only that, but Luke, I mean Acts 2, 42 and 46, uses the identical expression, break bread, and it's speaking about the common meal that people partook of from house to house. So break bread does not necessarily mean communion, According to Luke, it can mean a common, ordinary meal. And the interesting thing is, who was the author of the book of Acts? It was Luke. And I find it interesting that Luke 24, 35, and Acts 2, 42 and 46, clearly state that break bread is speaking about a common meal. So the fact that they came to break bread does not mean that they celebrated communion. In fact, I'm going to show you in a moment that the only one who really ate was the Apostle Paul. Now let's continue. Once again, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, now notice this, here's going to give us the reason. Paul, ready to depart the next day, what was the purpose of this meeting? Why did they have this meeting? Because Paul was going to what? He was going to leave the next day. This was a farewell for the Apostle Paul. In fact, let's notice uh, chapter 20 and verses 13 and 14. 20, 13, and 14. Notice the next day. It says, then he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos. That is, the next day he went to Asos, which was 35 miles from where he was in Troas. And it says, they're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. See, Paul was going to go on foot. In verse 14, and when he met us at Asos, he took him on board and came to Mytilene. So, basically, what it's telling us is that the Apostle Paul was planning to leave the next day. He was planning to take a ship. He was going to walk to Asos, 35 miles. Now, the question is, when did this meeting take place? Was it taking place on Sunday night or was it taking place on Saturday night? Now, let me give you the answer. And this is going to surprise some of you. According to the Bible, the day begins at sundown. And the dark portion of the day comes before the light portion of the day. That's the reason why at creation, after each day, it doesn't say it was the morning and the evening of the first day. 
It says it was the evening and the morning of the first day, the evening and the morning of the second day, the evening and the morning of the third day, and so on. Because the evening or the dark part of the day comes before the morning. What would that mean? What night is tonight? Ah, I tricked you. Everybody calls it what? Sunday night. But biblically, tonight is what? Monday night. And tomorrow is Monday day. This is the dark portion of Monday, and tomorrow is the light portion of Monday, because the evening comes before the morning. Are you following me? So the day begins at sundown. Now, if this meeting was taking place on the first day of the week, in the dark portion, it must have been a meeting which took place when? On Saturday night. So I guess we're going to have to keep Saturday night from now on. No going to church on Sabbath morning. No going to church on Sunday morning. Now we're going to have to go to church on Saturday night. And listen up, folks. We're going to have to have the meeting all night. You think I'm long-winded. You don't know Paul. Man, he preached so long that somebody fell out a window. But of course, the Lord gave Paul the power to resurrect this young man. Praise the Lord. Now, let's go once again to verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Let me ask you, is this a normal meeting? Do you have a normal meeting all the way to midnight? Not only all the way to midnight, but till the wee hours of the morning. We're going to notice in a moment. Verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Evidently, the Apostle Paul was kind of a boring preacher to some people. (laughs) I'm glad we don't have any windows that you can sit on here. Anyway, he continues saying, uh, Luke continues saying, he was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, no, after midnight, Continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. And now notice verse 11, very carefully. Now when he had come up, when who had come up? They or he? He, Paul. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, who, who broke bread and who ate? Paul! Of course, he was famished from being so long-winded. And so it says, Now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. This was an all-night meeting. Is this a regular meeting, folks? Let's be honest. This is not a regular meeting. This is a farewell for Paul. In fact, it's proof that the Sabbath is the day that we're supposed to keep. You say, how's that? Because the Apostle Paul had met with the church on the Sabbath. And the members knew that he was going to leave the next day, the light portion of the first day. And knowing that he was going to leave, they begged him, Paul, you know, we want to hear more of your words before you leave. And so they decided to have an exceptional meeting that night, knowing that Paul was going to leave. And in fact, I want you to notice Uh, Very interesting, a little bit later on, at the end of the chapter, chapter 20 and verse 37, the Bible tells us what happened when the Apostle Paul left the next day. It says, Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke. What was it they were gathered? Why did they want to be in the meeting with the Apostle Paul? Because of the words that he spoke. They wanted to hear more that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Was this a farewell for the Apostle Paul? Did the church want to hear the words of life that the Apostle Paul had? Yes. Now, I've experienced what Paul experienced more than once. For six years in the city of Medellin, Colombia, I taught uh, in a university, uh, theology, and... uh, On weekends, once in a while, I would take trips to different parts, not only in Colombia, but other countries as well. And I remember one time I went to a city in the tropical rainforest. 
The name of the city is Kibdo. It rains 379 inches a year. So you can know this is tropical rainforest. I mean, it didn't stop raining while I was there. In fact, my shower was in the backyard of the house where I stayed, very rustic. I had to sleep on the floor. The mosquitoes looked like birds. I mean, they were huge. Everything in the tropical rainforest is huge. And so what they had was this great big uh, barrel, and as it rained, the water would fill the barrel, and then they had a pipe which was perpetually pouring out water so that you could take a shower under the pipe. But anyway, I went and I preached on Sabbath morning, a regular sermon from 11 till about 12.30. And when I finished, the elder of the church said, you're finished already? I said, yes, that was a sermon I brought. He says, oh no, you've got to preach some more. You see, a minister only visits there every four months. Because the only way that you have access there, you can't get in by car. You have to fly in a two-motor plane. And it's really nerve-wracking, I'll tell you. Because as you're landing, all you see right below you, it looks like you're going to land on top of trees. Trees and trees and trees. And then all of a sudden, here's the clearing. And you landed. But anyway, he said, no, you've got to preach again. So I said, oh, okay. You know, I had two or three sermons there that I prepared for later on. And so I preached another sermon, 12.30 till about 1.30 in the afternoon. And he said, after I preached my second sermon, he said, you're finished already? I said, yes, uh, this way you, I preached twice. He says, oh no, preachers that come here, they have to preach more than twice. And so I preached a third sermon till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then he said, now we're going to break, but we know that Pastor Bohr is going to leave tomorrow, and so we're going to have a meeting tonight. And so at 6 o'clock that evening, the whole church was there. It was amazing. It was packed. There were people hanging out the windows. I mean, it reminded me of this experience of the Apostle Paul. This happened to me not only in this tropical rainforest, but it also happened to me in a city uh, called Turbo, where you get all of your bananas from. Have you ever noticed the little sticker that says Turbana on it? Well, uh, that uh, Turbana comes from Turbo, where all of our, uh, well, not all of them, because some of them come from Costa Rica, but many of our bananas come from. Same thing happened there. See, ministers only visit there every four to six months, so the people are hungry. They're sad when the pastor is going to leave. And so they, they got together at six o'clock. I thought, well, I'll preach from six to nine, and I preached till nine o'clock. They said, you've got to continue preaching. I preached till midnight. They said, that's not enough. You've got to continue preaching. I preached till 3 o'clock in the morning. Non-stop. From 6 in the afternoon to 3 in the morning, I preached. Finally, I was able to go to bed. Long day. Even longer than here. And the next day, early in the morning, the plane came. I got on the plane and left. The brothers and sisters were crying because they knew that they would not see a pastor again for between four and six months. So I know what Paul was experiencing here. This was a Saturday night meeting. It was not a Sunday morning meeting. It was not a worship service. It was a special meeting in an upper room. It was a farewell for the Apostle Paul. Let me ask you folks, does this passage really say that the first day of the week is holy? Does it say that the first day of the week we're supposed to go to church on a regular basis? No. Does it say that we're supposed to keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection of Jesus? Absolutely not. The fact is that to use this passage in that way is to inject your own ideas into the Bible instead of letting the Bible speak for itself. You'll notice on your list here that the book of Acts does tell us when the disciples did go to church. I find it amazing that Christians will... Try to find something, they'll look in Acts 20 and say, oh, here's a meeting, and it was the first day. That means that Sunday is the rest day. It's a holy day. It's a day to go to church to honor the resurrection of Jesus. They'll take that reference, which is speaking of an exceptional meeting, and they will ignore Acts 13, verse 14, verse 42, verse 44, where it says that they went to church on Sabbath. Acts 16, verse 13, where it says that they had a religious meeting next to a river on Sabbath. Acts 17 and verse 2 where it says the Apostle Paul made it a custom to go into church on Sabbath. Acts chapter 18 and verse 4 well, where once again it says that they went in for three and a half years on the Sabbath. They'll ignore all of these references that clearly say that the Apostles went to the synagogue on Sabbath. And they will take an ambiguous text to try and prove that the first day of the week is the day that we're supposed to keep in honor of the resurrection of Jesus. 
We have to decide whether we're going to go by tradition or whether we're going to go by the Word of God. Be it a matter of salvation or not a matter of salvation. Listen, folks, if we don't learn to submit to the will of Jesus in this earth, what makes us believe that we're going to submit to the Lord's will when we get to heaven or when we live on the new earth? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If Jesus kept the Sabbath, if the Apostle Paul kept the Sabbath, if the Apostle Peter kept the Sabbath, like the book of Acts says, we must also what? We must also keep God's holy Sabbath. Now let me make just a short reference to Revelation 1, verse 10. In fact, let's read it. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Here it tells us the day that John had his vision. It says, here John is speaking, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. What day did, the, did John have his vision? On the Lord's day. And so Christians say, absolutely clear, he had his vision on the Lord's day. Does it say here that the Lord's Day is the first day of the week? Does it say it's Sunday? No, it simply says the Lord's Day. Now, if you want to know which is the Lord's Day, how would you determine that? You know, what Christians, what Christian theologians do, they say, look, in the second and third century, the early church fathers, notice, not the apostolic fathers, but the early church fathers, they said that the Lord's Day was Sunday. And so this is referring to Sunday. The only problem with that, you can't take something from the third century, century and inject it back into the end of the first century and say that it means the same thing. Because that's taking an external authority to explain the Bible. You have to let the Bible explain itself from inside. So we have to let the Bible tell us which is the Lord's Day. If John was in vision on the Lord's Day, we need to go to other Bible verses to determine what is the Lord's Day. Now my question is, does the Bible make it clear which is the Lord's Day? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. The Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now the Sabbath is the, is the day of the Lord. Also, Mark 2.27 Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord also of what? Of the Sabbath. In Isaiah 58, the Sabbath, God calls the Sabbath my holy day. Do you know that not once does the Bible say that the Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Jews? Not once does the Bible call the Sabbath the Sabbath of the Jews or the Sabbath of Israel. It is always the Sabbath of the Lord. And the reason why is because God made it at the beginning when he rested. Now let me say this in closing. I don't want you to think that Sabbath observance is a burden. You have to keep it because you're obligated to do so. That would be like the Pharisees, keeping the Sabbath because it's written on tablets of stone. No. If we love Jesus, we'll want to keep his Sabbath. We'll want to spend that day in fellowship with him and in fellowship with fellow believers to practice up for the great celebration we're going to have in heaven. See, this is rehearsal on earth. The meeting of God's people is practice. And then when we get to the kingdom of heaven, it'll be the real thing. So listen, folks, the Sabbath is a beautiful time for us to remember how wonderful God is when he made the world, and us. It's a beautiful sign that reminds us that Jesus rested in the tomb when he finished his work of redemption for us. And it's a beautiful sign of the future recreation of the heaven and the earth where we will forever celebrate God's Sabbath to remember what a wonderful God he is in restoring the heavens and the earth so that we can live with him throughout eternity. Is it your desire to keep the Holy Sabbath of God? Raise your hand if you want to keep the Holy Sabbath of the Lord. Praise God. Let us pray. Father, we've studied tonight a very important subject. The whole Christian world almost observes the first day of the week and they think that they're rendering your honor. But Lord, the day that you created as a day of rest is the Sabbath. 
The devil has hijacked Christianity. And he's done it in a way where he's convinced Christians that by keeping Sunday, they're honoring Jesus. When really keeping the Sabbath is honoring Jesus. Father, I ask that you will be with everyone gathered here tonight, particularly with those who had not heard these things. I ask, Lord, that you will help them through your spirit to make a decision tonight in their hearts that they are going to keep your Holy Sabbath because they love Jesus so much. Lord, if anybody is struggling with this, there's a voice saying, no, do what's always been done, follow tradition. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit and your word will prevail in their life that they might experience the joy of the Sabbath. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.